Hello everyone and welcome back to El Cafecito. Today I am here with Sara Chocano. You are a third year student studying anthropology and Latin American studies. Yes, yes. <laughs> correct. Correct. And um, fun fact, uh, this is actually Sarah's second interview because we actually did, we recorded this podcast last week and then lost the file. Don't trust iPhone voice notes is my advice to you all. Agreed. Um, and so this is our take two. So thank you, Sarah, for your patience, and thank you for coming back here today. So today's episode, we're going to be talking about feminism in Latin America, um, female representation in Latin America, and also outside of Latin America, within the Latin, Latin American diaspora. Um, so yeah, a pretty, I'm looking forward, looking forward to our conversation, Sarah. Me too. <laughs> Starting us off with a very basic yet important question, I wanted to know what is your definition of feminism? Because I know that the word has been tossed around a bit here and there. It's maybe lost some meaning for some people. So just to set the record straight, what is feminism to you? Just like on a very basic level, at the basic level, I think feminism is the advocacy of women's rights on the basis of equality of sexes. But obviously that very basic definition has had its limitations within time and like the genealogy of the feminism movement especially because it's very centered in western feminism and does not consider other like intersectionalities such as race sexual orientation um indigenous women's movements it it it's not like if you put it at that very basic definition it can be limiting in that sense so for it, that's why like a lot of people refer to feminisms because it's a good way of expanding that definition and kind of targeting different demographics within the like the feminist movement. So yeah. <laughs> so how would you situate Latin American feminism in relation to Western feminism? Like, what are some some issues that maybe Latin American feminism deals with that are not dealt with Western feminism, or maybe they deal with them differently? I think for the longest time, Latin American feminism was framed as Western feminism. And it's understandable because it, it was the beginning of the feminist movement. So it was the Latin American feminism at the time, like during the 70s, it was mainly targeted towards mestiza women or upper, upper class, upper middle class, upper class mestiza women that are living in urban spaces mostly. So now it ha there has been um, a lot of counter movements against that idea of feminism in Latin America, and mm, the two main ones are indigenous feminism movements and lesbian feminism movements within Latin America. So from some of the re research that I have done, uh, indigenous women try to counter this idea of the individual human rights and like individual women rights and try to look more for the collective rights which obviously the more westernized feminism just focuses on the individual because of like ideas of liberalism and neoliberalism mm -hmm. so it's basically like oh a woman as an individual rather than as a collective and indigenous women's rights have tried to counter that and add this dimension to the collective like idea of collectivity um given that a lot of um, like this idea of collectivity is a way of preserving cultural systems 
within the neoliberal systems that have been imposed over indigenous populations. Um, they also try to decolonize the idea of gender, that, which is like this idea that like, came with colonization, that male and female were very opposite subjects, and they, they were very different, and there was no intersection within them. It was just like two whole new worlds. Where, and that was imposed, that ideology was imposed, that binary, to be more exact, was imposed over indigenous populations that saw, before colonization, saw these ideas of feminine and masculine very fluid and very interconnected and interchangeable too. Like, it was not, oh, only like feminine people, like only women have feminine traits. It was like, just like very fluid within both mm. subjects. I don't know how to explain it. Um, but they have been trying to kind of like decolonize ideas of gender and um, bring up the idea of collectivity. And why is it that this colonization of gender, as you call it, why is this maybe dangerous or poses a threat to indigenous people, indigenous cultures? I think it is dangerous in that when you picture the other, as in like the indigenous people, and especially indigenous women, you can find them to... A role and you don't and that that's that causes subordination in different ways like a very very relevant example will be that indigenous women are confined to the role of domesticity mm-hmm. and they are caretakers caregivers and you don't see them in other um like playing other roles playing other roles within society so i think that's this is like the binary of like gender that like women are um, confined to the private space, confined to the domestic space, and in this case, indigenous women are the ones that are are the ones that are doing the work within the houses. While mestiza women or criollo women are going outside and having more jobs, mm. um, so it it that's why it is important to kind of decolonize this idea of gender because it will it will be more helpful to to see the representation of indigenous women in other works like administrative work or I don't know like being a CEO like that would be amazing right but because of this ideas that we have within our head because of like the coloniality of power um we confine them to just a specific role in society can you explain what you mean by coloniality of power yeah so (laughs) this idea of coloniality of power was proposed by um Aniwa Quijano a Peruvian philosopher um who said that in Latin America we've been colonized within like physically and structurally and systematically but also mentally so like traces of colonization are within our minds still and they are they persevere still and they dictate a lot of the things that we do and like a lot of like the our relationship with other subjects are based on these ideas of like that come that go back to the colonial times. Also, like within our behavior and how we interact with others, how we address others, how we joke about others, how we talk about others, like that, those little things that are very normalized um, are kind of like manifestations of this coloniality of power. Now, moving on to, I guess, uh, Latin American feminism in general, why would you say that Latin America still needs feminism because so in recent years we've had a number of women holding really important offices in Latin American countries um, even women holding the most important office right becoming president we've had presidents such as Michelle Bachelet of Chile Dilma Rousseff although things didn't go so great for her 
Um, you know, we've had important figures such as Eva Perón, Isabel Perón in the past. And, and you know, these different Latin American countries have taken steps to, um, steps of affirmative action to really facilitate a woman's ascension in the political structures, in, in the uh, political pyramid of power, let's say. Um, so some people would look at that and be like, oh, okay, well, Latin America is, uh, you know, they've done it. You know, they had four female presidents at, at one point in time, uh, at the same time, although that ended with Michelle Bachelet's uh, exit. But why would you say that maybe, um, how would I say this? Or, or here, structuring the question differently. Would you say that because we have accomplished this type of maybe like political equality, um, so to speak, we haven't necessarily accomplished the social equality and that's what's going to always be the heaviest anchor on feminist movements in Latin America? Um, I would say that we still need feminism because despite there being such important women taking office within countries, I think that at the end of the day, there's still a lot of violence, a lot of struggles that in a day-to-day -day women in Latin America struggle with. And it they don't go away when a female president like gets elected. I think they're still in place. And it's, it's something that we have to deal with every day. And obviously they cannot be because it's so ingrained within society and it's so ingrained within this mentality of like machismo. I think that's why we need feminism because even though we have so many powerful women, these women are still very privileged in that they have been educated, they have had like good education, like Western education, let's say. Right. Um, they have this privilege of going to university and like going to law school and Therefore, that's what got them elected. But there are other different challenges that different demographics of like of women, Latin American women, experience. Um, like Afro-descendants women experience some like struggles that are diff similar and sometimes different from Indigenous women, and they're similar and different for underprivileged women and like poor women. So like it's all that these like figures are like there, but they are not a reflection of the reality of Latin America, especially the, the reality of women in Latin America. And therefore we need feminist movements um, to kind of think about those ideas and think about those struggles and kind of incorporate in them and make the, the movement stronger. And for these women, to, for these women's struggles to be heard within like the political spheres too, because sometimes when you're in Congress or like in within that there's also like I, I can't imagine that they struggle within like talking to Congress and stuff because probably people don't take them seriously. Um but also they are in that sphere and it kind of very disjunct like it's not very connected to like the like micro sexisms and more normalized ways of sexism that you don't usually see like I don't know, it's but yeah, I would agree that, you know, establishing gender parity laws and taking affirmative action, um, that creates a very superficial image, perhaps, yeah. um, of, of gender parity um, in the political sphere. But these legal actions don't necessarily mean much if the people of society don't actually believe in them in the first place, or they don't actually see a reason for them in the first place. And you bring up machismo, which I think is so uh, such an important part of the conversation, especially when it comes to Latin America, in which, yes, you can have a female president, but that doesn't mean that 
women are all of a sudden recognized as being these independent, authoritative, or, or not necessarily authoritative by default, but independent people who can hold authority and, and who deserve respect. Um, can you maybe elaborate on, for, for those of you who don't know, perhaps, although I doubt anyone doesn't know, but what machismo is and why is it so specific to Latin America? Um, I kind of want to go back to the idea of um, gender parity. Mm-hmm. I think like this idea of gender parity can also be limiting because there's so many people that don't identify with their gender, within their gender binary. So like you're excluding them from that like political sphere. So it will be good to like for the feminist movement to also acknowledge that. Um, so like yeah, like in in theory, gender parity can work and it can like bring a lot of representation of women or like from that that are women that identify as women, but maybe people that are not comfortable with this binary or this like labels, like how are they gonna go into office? So it's important to acknowledge that too. And I think um, a lot of like a lot of the feminist movement that's this idea of like feminisms that you can also have to include this other um, ideas of gender and this like decolonization of gender. So I think it is important. Um, going back to the idea of machismo. Um, I think it's, like, I will say it as this, like, very overt way of presenting masculinity. Mm-hmm. And I think, in, we see it in Latin America, um, within, like, this crazy amount of feminicides that happen every day in a lot of countries throughout Latin America. And I think, um, like, that's one example of how, like, machismo is very specific because it's very aggressive and very strong. Yeah, in terms of numbers, so women in Latin America are more likely to be killed anywhere else in the world. Annually, there are 60,000 women that are murdered in Latin America. And the highest rates of femicides are actually in Honduras and El Salvador, with 10 and 14 deaths respectively for every 100,000 women. Um, And what's most unfortunate is that in most cases, um, these femicides actually go unpunished. So there's actually only two out of every 100 cases of femicides uh, in the region, in the Northern Triangle. Uh, that actually go to court. And so that's a really big, that's a number that speaks volumes in terms of injuring machismo in the country. And as you say, it's this very violent and aggressive um, version of masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, kind of like tying it up with um, my experience as a Peruvian. Um, I have like also some statistics in Peru and they're crazy. They're um, in 2017, um, between January and September, there were 94 feminicides, 5,707 sexual assaults, and um, 21,000 assaults. And of the like of the 5K assaults that I mentioned, 71% of these victims were children. That's shocking. That's messed up. And that's just in Peru. And just the just, just in Peru. And Peru isn't even the most violent country in Latin America. So like imagine mm-hmm. that number in Brazil. Or in the Northern Triangle, as I just said. In 2016, Peru was the third, oh, really? um, gen- like the third country with gender violence in the whole world. That's messed up. Yeah. And okay, so you being a Peruvian, why would you say that that is the case? Like, what are, I don't know, attitudes in Peruvian society, in Peruvian culture, maybe that maybe incentivize this or encourage it, or or just don't condemn it as much. Um, a lot of the issue of not condemning it, it's because of the legislative branch of, like, in Peru. Like, the concept, like, the legal ways of um, 
kind of making these things aware and kind of um, bringing them to court are so hard and obviously there's a lot of machismo within the court so that's why they are not taken seriously they're they are not successful cases because of the machismo that's also ingrained within the legislative sphere in Peru and that's one of the biggest problems in my opinion and as a as a woman that lives in Peru um, four months out of the year um, and lived in, and grew up in Peru I think it's terrifying to go on the street. It's terrifying to go alone and having the fear that you might not come back home. That's just something that it's like it's shocking to me and to every person in Peru that like going to public transport, like I don't know what can happen to me. Last year someone was burned in public transport because of jealousy. Like a like man burned alive? Yeah, a man went to the to like a Mikuro, which is like like the Peruvian bus. <laughs> um and light this girl on fire because she was not answering his messages so this girl had like exercised her right to say no i don't want to be in this relationship and by exercising that right she gets burned what happened after she died but did like any action happen i didn't follow the story but immediately after um the police captured him and i don't know like the specifics of like his sentence mm-hmm. but it's like it was very like everyone knew about it it was something all over the news right so obviously you're forced to do something um like legally so but like imagine like all of the other cases that are, don't receive a lot of media attention and there's so many as like the the statistics say like all of those cases go unseen and they're unsuccessful and because of most of them are children it it means that it happens within the family and sometimes it's like your father does this to you. Yeah. So and I think there's also this whole issue of wanting evidence. Yes. And not taking the woman's word um and as enough evidence. Yes. And also the idea that um um I think that a lot of what comes into place is that some women think that this is a normal thing that happens that experiencing violence within the household or being sexually assaulted by someone within your household is something normal and something that you deserve as a woman. So a lot of people don't even go to court and denounce these um, issues. They just, because they think it's so normal that are like, oh, why am I not like, sue my like, family member because of yeah. this. And that's also why there's a lot of cases of domestic abuse in yeah. Latin America that are never brought to court ever, ever, because they're like, oh, well, this is a normal part of my relationship. Yes. This is what I saw this is how, how I saw my dad treat my mother and how I saw my uncle treat my aunt. And so, obviously, I this is going to happen to me because mm-hmm. I want to be in a relationship and that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, so you would agree to say that there is this culture of very high toxic masculinity in Latin America. And I want to talk now about reggaeton because, you know, this culture of toxic masculinity is encouraged by cultural production right it just kind of it just kind of gets recycled over and over again and, and you know there's no way out of it so really you know you can have these laws you can have these laws that say okay women are allowed to hold office women there should be this amount of women in parliament you can have all of these things but at the end of the day if what our people are listening to on the streets or what people are consuming in their media is telling them another diff- mm-hmm. a different message um, that's going to be the message that counts and so I want to know what your opinion on reggaeton is. Because personally, I love reggaeton. I'm not even going to lie. I want to be feminism all the way, but I love my reggaeton. And is that 
what do you think of that? Is that wrong? Is it right? Is it maybe there's move, uh, there's being changes made in the industry that are healthier for women? I think reggaeton, it is sexist and it sexualizes, sexualizes women. And you do see women through a male gaze. Um, and that obviously is a, rep- a, a lot of representation in, to an extent of women. And I'm, I'm not saying women like shouldn't sexualize themselves. Like if you are very confident within your, with yourself and you are comfortable with showing your body and like people talking about your body, props to you. Like I'm not gonna judge that and I wish it was like that. Um, but um, I think that what it's important is that reggaeton normalizes sexual harassment. It normalizes sexualizing women and it normalizes even like getting women drunk and like doing things without their consent there's some lyrics that like i'm like no yeah this is wrong uh but i think there is because it's a cultural expression i i think there is a lot of and now even like reggaetoneras are kind of going into the industry and they're getting really famous and it is a space where you can reclaim this identity and you can reclaim your Fem- like the, your feminine side and be like no yeah I actually want to be sexualized or I actually want to be seen like this person but this is very different from like someone else talking about you you're talking about yourself mm-hmm. and I think that is important because it gets to show that uh, there are different ways that you can love yourself and that there are different ways that you can experience your femininity it's still I think that it's important to kind of be aware of the sexism that is within reggaeton and I think you as a woman, sometimes you're aware that it's not completely healthy <laughs> to be being portrayed in this way. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if, like, there's some people that might be like, oh, this is how you treat women all the time. Great, I'm just going to do it on my day on my day-to-day. Or I'm just going to go to the club and just going to do all the things that the lyrics say, right? So I think it's problematic in that it makes it normal. And it just, like, perpetuates sexual violence and sexual harassment. Yeah. Um, it is fun to dance to, but I think... There are some, like, it would be a good, great idea for pe- people to kind of reclaim reggaeton and make it a little less or way more, like, make it more women-friendly and even, like, other demographics that are sometimes um, discriminated within reggaeton. Um, but I love um, Bad Bunny's new album, Por Siempre, mm-hmm. especially the song so- Solo De Mi. It talks about women's violence, and I think that's a good... Like, he is proposing a new way of seeing reggaeton. You still get, um, um, you still get like, the urban beats and, like, very Latin, Latino music and Spanish music, and I, I think that's great. But he's using that platform to kind of counter those stereotypes and those limitations that reggaeton has. And I think, yeah, like, where I like dancing to it, I like the beats, but you can use that and kind of change the lyrics. Right. Yeah, um, I personally, I do like Bad Bunny. Not gonna lie, I wasn't a fan three months ago, but I've changed my mind, I've converted. I'm on the Bad Bunny train, and... You're part of the new religion. I'm part of the new religion. And now seeing, you know, the work that he does, and the work that J Balvin does, and it's just like, it's very refreshing, and I think, as you say, it's very... I think it's very efficient that, you know, you have this form of music that is so tied to Latin American identity and Latin American culture that, you know instead of taking it down and instead of boycotting it, you just kind of change it from the inside. And and that way you can make it so that by changing this music from the inside and by, you know, changing the message it's sending, 
it's a bit of a ripple effect onto everyone else, right? Especially because these people have such huge fan bases, right? Yeah. Like it's like Jay Balvin. How many followers does he have on Instagram? He has a lot. He has and a I lot think, of followers. Yeah, and I think also like the incorporation of like featuring Nati Nat or featuring Cardi B or featuring Becky D, like that gives them the space. Not that like it's only like women reggaetoners should only just be featured. Like I'm very up to like for them having their own albums and everything mm-hmm. but kind of like inviting these people in and being like oh like i'm actually a woman and i enjoy this but i don't enjoy being represented this way um i think that is also very important and it, there has been a lot of like featuring throughout the like all these new releases like featuring anita featuring um like anita like sofia reyes got a song with Rita Ora and anita too yeah um so like you're seeing that women are also like kind of fighting back this idea like the limit, like the portrayals, the portrayals of it within reggaeton. So yeah. I think that's also important, like changing the message and kind of like bring more representation in. And well, I'm not gonna lie to you. I do find it sometimes difficult for myself to reconcile, you know, my feminist views and then some of these um, Latin American artists that are so popular. For instance, straight off the bat, I can think of any Romeo Santos song. I love Romeo Santos. I really, really do. But then you get to listening to his songs, and what's that one song that's so problematic? The Eres Mia. Yeah. And he goes, you know, No te asombres si un día entro a tu cuarto y vuelvo a serte mía. And I'm just like, that's, yeah. oh, that's trespassing, sir. You yeah. cannot do that. Like, and then he's like, Y bueno, el día de tu boda, me voy a reír porque tu, I don't know, your husband, he doesn't know that deep down, sigue siendo mía. And I'm like, oh my God, que obsedido. Like, get a life. Yes, I agree. Like, that normalizes talking. And, like, yeah, <laughs> it really does. It really yeah. does. And it's funny, like, it's not funny, but it's incredible how, like, people think, like, oh, this is a right attitude. Like, if Romeo Santos, or, and even girls, like, people, like, girls can be like, oh, this is a normal thing. Like, mm-hmm. it's good that people are chasing me and I'm, like, playing difficult and hard to get. Um... But obviously it's wrong, and you need to be aware of that. And you need to be aware that what are your rights, and that you shouldn't be harassed or like let people yeah. <laughs> into your window. I really like. Um, I don't. I borracha the song by Jada. Mm-hmm. Um, he does like it does perpetuate this idea of like getting the girl drunk to get their consent. Um, and that's why I don't like the the original song. But in the remix, there's. Like, it features a girl. I don't know their name. But um, the girl says, yeah, like, I, he got me drunk, but it's not like I didn't want it to. So it kind of, like, there's a little bit more consent in that. Mm-hmm. And I really like the remakes because, like, it's like, oh, okay, like, there's some, there's consent. So I'm, like, okay with that. But you, you shouldn't be getting girls drunk and in order for you to take advantage of them. And you shouldn't be bragging about that either. Yeah, it's not a, a good look. No, <laughs> like, like, that's kind of sad. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, that's why it's, it's good to have, like, representation of reggaetoneras within the industry. Yeah. Now, you talk about representations of reggaetoneras. What about political representation? Ooh, check that transition. Um, so, my next question would be, how would you perceive the Latin American diaspora, especially in the U.S., um, as, you know building this example of how women should be or of, of the space that Latin American women can use in politics and can use in society. Um, how do you see them as presenting maybe an example to Latin American women in South America? Um, that's a very, like, I have to think about it, but, um, like, first of all, I think the representation is needed and we have seen how, 
I'm just gonna focus on Ocasio Cortez for the sake of like clarity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I really like how she is making this image of like you can be Latina, you can wear hoop earrings, you can have danced in high school, in college, and you can have you can be the daughter of a a cleaning person, a cleaning worker, um, and you can be a bartender and still get into office. And because that's the reality of so many Lat Latin, Latino, Latinx population in the U.S. Like, they're obviously, like, some, like, a lot of the Puerto Rican diaspora, the Cuban diaspora, they usually go to, like, to, like, Libran's where, where she is. And obviously her being in office kind of gets to show that it can be done. And... Um, it is very important for like her and others to be holding these positions within the political sphere of the U.S. because you obviously have an identity and you obviously have a background that you can that where you have experienced a lot of struggles because of the American society and how it is and the government and how it's structured that you can bring a voice and you can make all of these struggles visual. Um, you can all you can all make these struggles visible within the Congress and you can fight for them. Um, I find it very interesting how the like the the conservative party reacts to Ocasio Cortez mm -hmm. and all of her like all of the things that she does. They because she's not only Latinx but she's also young. She's mm -hmm. twenty nine. So obviously like a lot of people targeted her because of that. They call her inexperienced, they call her unprofessional. Um and I think it gets to show how like Latinx are very underprivileged within the U.S. and it also gets to show. Um, I love how it's like funny to me that they call her a witch, and it's just yeah. like you're literally using the same discourse that was used like in medieval times to burn women. Mm -hmm. um, you're using the same idea, especially racialized women. Like, oh, like she's a witch, like she's hunting Trump. That's it's incredible to me how like backwards that is, um, and. Even, like, her wearing the hoop earrings, so they were like, oh, this is unprofessional. And I love how she took that critique and, like, to kind of visualize this racism that's still within the U.S. politics. And she's like, I'm wearing hoop earrings. A lot of girls that look like me wear hoop earrings. And me being here demonstrates that all of these girls can fight, can, like, work towards having positions like mine. And I think that's very important. Because Latinx experiences are important in the U.S., especially because there's a large demographic, um given the diaspora or even, like, colonization of, like, the space, like, the treaties that happened between Mexico and the U.S. forced a lot of, um, like, Mex like Latinx people, how, like, how they're identified to be part of the U within the U.S. border. Um, and it's a different reality, right? So it's good to have this representation. It's good for people to be fighting for these rights and to make them visible within Congress and make it a problem so you can change things, like, you can change the system. Can you speak on the value of representation? Because an argument that's come out lately is that, well, representation is just another way of racializing politics. You know, it's not about what you look like that matters. You know, we shouldn't be worried about having X amount of Afro-Americans or X amount of Latina people in Congress. We should be worrying about um, their potential, you know, what, what people can actually do. So at the end of the day, uh, insisting on representation is simply another way of pushing for racialization of society. Um, yeah, I can talk about that. I think that because people have been racialized historically, it is important to have that representation because 
if people were not racialized, then okay. But the racialization of some subjects within society put some challenges within them and shaped their realities. And obviously, like Afro-descendants, indigenous people, they all, like the way they are living now and the struggles that they're facing now is because they've been racialized since colonization, let's say. Well, it all started within, like in the past. Mm -hmm. So like if you've been racialized for so long and it has shaped your life, it has shaped how you live, how you move, how you act, like how you're just, like you experience discrimination, you have, you have, you, you don't have access to some spaces and some spheres within society, then I think that's why it's, representation is important because it's a way of bringing forward these struggles that and being aware of, and someone that has experienced them can speak better about them and kind of find solutions within. I think that the problem shouldn't be, is not representation per se, but it's how you deal with and how you execute this idea of representation to not make it tokenism. Mm. Um, and I think it is important because, as I said, like people have been racialized for so long in history that the reason why our society is the way it is is one of the main reasons is because we have like some groups have been altered and how some groups have been rendered unimportant and not even like like in slavery like some subjects have been rendered like as commodity and that obviously has shaped back then like society back then and is still in place today so that's why it's important to be represented within political spheres coloniality of power yes that's and my my nibble yeah um but yeah no i agree and i think that people who get really upset at the fact that all of a sudden you know because they take the argument that well you know if we didn't put so much emphasis if we didn't insist so much on having ex-women, ex-Latina women in Congress, then, you know, we could be focusing on getting, you know, women who actually know how to do politics, regardless of their color. I don't care about their color. I don't care about their background. But in the end, you do. Like, if that's the argument that you're advancing, it's because you don't believe that there is that potential within that community to begin with. And it's also a form of color blindness. Like, you're seeing everyone as equal, and obviously not everyone is equal, not because they don't deserve the same rights, but because they have been denied for so long some rights. Mm. And obviously, some people have access to higher education and others don't. And some, like, most of the time it's because of their race or it's because of their, their gender. So you have to, in a way, push this representation because you need to be aware that people experience things differently and not everyone has access to everything equally. There are obviously some struggles for different demographics within the society, and that's why representation is important. We're going to wrap this up now. Um, but as a final question, I want to know, how do you see the future of feminism in Latin America or of women in general in Latin America? Um, I think that... For me, I really like this new uprising of feminist movements within Latin America. I really like Ni Una Menos because it it's making it's visualizing all of this gender violence that gender based violence that happens in Peru. Can you explain and, what it is? Yeah. So Ni Una Menos is um, a feminist movement that has spread across Latin America and it mainly campaigns against gender based violence and it has created a transnational network within Latin America to kind of um, render visible all of these experiences that women are having and kind of supporting these women to go forward and denounce their partners, their family members, their bosses, their boyfriends. And I really like that 
it's very social media based. Of course, no, like not everyone has access to social media, but it's it's a great way to kind of create like this sisterhood. And um, obviously, the sisterhood has to be intersectional, and it has to include all of women of color, women like non-binary people, like transgender people, lesbian women, um, and. I think like they post on Facebook and they're like this is this happened like let's help this person let's make bring it to the media and I think that's a great way of like how I envision feminism as kind of something women supporting women also mm. to kind of um, bring all these issues forward and um, like end the normalization of some attitudes such as um, even like jokes or anything like I think being aware of your rights and being aware of what is being machismo, what is being sexual harassment is a good first step forward or like recognizing what's wrong and kind of changing it. Um, I think that what I've seen, like what I foresee in the future will be um, kind of people being less <laughs> machista. Mm -hmm. Like I think like that's the thing, like being more aware of their privilege and being more aware of their, their machismo and how they're perpetrating them it in different ways. Would it be through like overt violence that you're li like you're literally hitting a woman, or through very like normalized discourses such as joking around or calling a, a person a slut, like all of that is part of machismo, mm -hmm. and you're just perpetrating in different ways. And another point that I wanted to bring up is that despite machismo being such a ingrained thing in Latin America, I think that gender-based violence, sexual harassment, is something that we experience anywhere. Like it's not only to Latin America. It's just an issue that it happens that happens across the world. It has happened to me, like here in Canada, here on campus. So I think we also have to be aware of that and not kind of like confine this idea of like feminism in Latin America just to, in Latin America and just being like oh Latino men are so they're so sexist and mm -hmm. it's only Latino men. I think it's something that it's so ingrained in the society in general that we have to be aware of it too. Well, we're going to wrap it up here. Thank you so much, Sarah, for coming in again. Um, it has been recorded this time. I'm looking at it and we're safe. So this is good. We only have one more episode for you guys. And El Cafecito will be back in September. So thank you so much, Sarah. And we will see you in two weeks. Thank you for having me, Cass. Bye.